I'm excited to share uh, a story with you today about friendship. And it's found in the Old Testament, and I know we don't spend much time in the Old Testament, and we need to do more because there's lots of good stuff in there. But this scripture and this story is found in the latter parts of 1 Samuel. And so I'm not going to uh, like talk through a passage. I want to talk through several passages and pull out a few different points about what I want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about today is how we can really honestly, deeply experience friendship with one another. And the reason I want to talk about this is twofold. First of all, the very personal reason is that it's very easy for me, often it's a fault of mine, to, to misinterpret where I am in my friendships and my relationships, right? I remember when uh, I was younger, and I don't do it as much now because maybe I got burnt, but I remember going up to this kid and saying, hey, you're my best buddy. And he said, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's akin to saying to someone, you know, I love you, and they say, that's nice, right? <laughs> because you want back. I'm your best friend, too. I, I, I love you, too. And then what I found sometimes as I get older is that the reverse happens, is that, that, that subtly people have come up to me and they've indicated that, that we're like BFFs. And I'm like, well, you'd probably make my top 50. <laughs> so something in me is broken that kind of determines relationships and I need some kind of metric, some kind of foundation and that's what this scripture says. The other reason I want to talk about ingredients of making best friends is that there's something wrong in our world when it comes to friendships that over the last few years specifically, we've started to um, understand friendship and relational success in terms of quantity rather than quality, right? And I think a big part of this problem revolves around social media, right? When we kind of have subtly, uh, certainly, um, I, I think a lot of the younger generations, if I can say that, have defined the, the, the strength of their relationships, not by the quality, but by how many friends they have, right? and how many likes they have. And you know on social media, whenever we get a like or a love or something like that, it gives us a little uh, little, little shot of um, and dolphins, right? Dopamine. dopamine, that's right. In the, I always get my chemicals. Uh, in, 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 the, uh, you know, in our mind, right? And so we start to... Um, we start to feed off that. And it pulls us more away from quality relationships and more towards quantity because the more friends we have and the more hits we get, the better we feel. But this relationship that I want to talk about today, as we pick it apart, we see some foundations that I think that if we can build into our friendships, then we tackle those two problems. One, that our friendship meter is often broken. And secondly, we start to focus on quality rather than quantity. And it's a story between Jonathan, who was the son of the king, and David, who would be the king. We know about David, right? David became a rock star because when he was just a teenager, he took uh, a few stones, but he only used one of them 
And he slayed Goliath with that, 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 that stone, right? And so everybody in Israel thinks, man, this guy is a hero. We want him to be a king. And so from that moment, David puts himself on a track to become the next king. The king at the time was King Saul, who's the other player in um, this story. And I want to focus on him. He did some great things as a king. He wasn't all bad, but he had some insecurities. And those insecurities got him in trouble, as they tend to do for us in our relationship as well. The third person in this story, the relationship that I want to focus on, involves King Saul's son, Jonathan. So you got three players. you got David and the king and Jonathan, the king's son. And something remarkable happens that Jonathan, who should have been a natural rival to David because David was, was taking all that should have been his, becomes best friends. And in this unusual friendship, I think God is teaching all of us some things about how we can become better and increase the quality of our relationships. So first of all, the first section of scripture I want to read is in 1 Samuel 18. If you want to find that in your Bible, uh, I suggest you go to the contents at the front first and then uh, find it. It's about one-sixth of the way through the Bible, if that, that helps. If you want to go on the YouVersion app, you can as well. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, so it's David, the upcoming king, talking with the current king, he met Jonathan, the king's son. You would think that that would be a frosty relationship, but it didn't turn out like that. Scripture says there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. The word loved here is uh, in Hebrew, haved. It has this, um, this deep soul connection. In fact, in some of your versions of the Bible where it says there was an immediate bond between them, some versions, a better translation of that says that their souls were immediately connected with each other, that their souls were knitted together. These guys were the guys that invented the term soulmates. Soulmates. That's a term we throw around a lot today, right, with our best friends. You know, hey, he's my soulmate, she's my soulmate. And when we see that, and when we say that, we mean that we've got a connection between us that's deeper than, than all the kind of fluff that exists in other relationships, that, that we connect, that our souls are been knitted together on a deeper level. And Jonathan and David had this soul connection as soon as they met. It says that their souls were being knitted together. And what, what that means in that metaphor is that there is someone who's doing the, 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 the knitting with uh, David's yarn and Jonathan's yarn, right? And I think the implication is very clearly that it's God who is knitting these two together. 
Any strong quality relationship that we're going to have needs ultimately to be knitted together by God, right? We see people all the time who are in relationships, right, absent of God, and rarely does that relationship work out and become as deep and rich with the quality that it could. So they met, they had a good connection. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. This is the first thing I want to point out, the secret of their relationship. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pack by taking off his priestly robes and giving them to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. The first point of a healthy relationship The first thing I want to draw your attention to about a quality relationship is not just that their souls were connected, but that their souls were connected around a promise, around a solemn pact. What this pact was, was a promise that they would take care of each other. This was a very um, specific covenant that they were making to each other. On Jonathan's side, he was saying, I promise that I'm going to let you become king, and I won't stand in the way of that. David, in return, was making a promise to Jonathan that when he was king, he would protect and, and care for and provide for his family. Theirs was a relationship that was based on promise. It was based on covenant. There is a relationship structure in our society that is based on that same premise. You know what it is? Marriage, right? And in marriage, what is happening is a man and a woman are standing together and they're looking at each other and they're making promises to each other. In sickness and in health, to death do us part, to richer for I've said it a thousand times. Well, I've said it only once that really mattered, but I've said it. <laughs> I've said it hundreds of times for, for other people, right? In sickness and in health, for richer for poorer, for better for worse, to death do us part. We're making promises. And what God is saying here and what we're seeing in David. Jonathan, is that relationships work best when they're based on promises. Think about the relationships that you have and that you share. Most of the relationships that we enter into are not based on promises of what will be, what could be in covenant love. They're based on what do I get from it. It's almost like there's a a breakdown. We have this covenant relationship based on promises, but then we have this more contractual relationship that's based on what's in it for me. 
When we enter into covenant relationships, everything changes and the quality gets better. Let me show you this little chart that I put together this week. There is a big difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, there are limited terms, right? It, it is restricted. In a covenant, those promises become unlimited. A contract is based on specific actions. A covenant is based on unconditional promises. Contracts are based on an if-then mentality. Covenants are based on steadfast love. Contracts are motivated by getting what you want. Covenants are motivated by the benefit of others. Contracts are often implicit and unspoken, but covenants require confrontation and forgiveness. And we could talk about that for, for a long time. But what I want to point out is there is all the difference in the world between a contract and a covenant. And a lot of the times our relationships are so hard and so broken because we violate uh, contracts and we violate covenants as, as well. But when we're living in the, when we're living in the contract world, man, we're never going to get the quality that we need, right? Because it's all about us, and it's all about what's in it for me. This relationship between David and Jonathan was based on promises to one another. If you want to have rich, quality relationships, the question is not, what's in it for me from this relationship? The question is, what promises can I speak into the relationship? That's how healthy marriages work. That's how our relationship with God works, because that's based not on a contract, but on a covenant too. And that's how our healthy relationships with one another work, right? If we want quality friendships like David and Jonathan, we got to be making promises to each other. It's not to say that promises aren't broken. We see it all the time. But if we want quality relationships, we've got to move away from the safety and the selfishness of contracts and move to covenants. I was thinking just this morning about this issue even more. And I was thinking when I meet someone for the first time, or I'm about to enter into a friendship, or I'm deciding who I want to give my time to, what are some of the factors that are going into that? And I'm ashamed to say that in a lot of relationships, my first thought is what's in it for me? But then I thought, what would it be like if I changed that kind of default setting in me? And what if I started in my mind making promises to those that I want to be friends with? What, what would they be like? Now, I'm not going to sit down and say, hey, let's be friends. This is what I promise you, right? But looking through the story, I think there are three things, three foundations of Jonathan and David's friendship. First of all, they promised each other they would love each other no matter what. And as the story unfolded, there was lots of tests that came to that. That's a pretty good promise to be in relationship. I'm going to love you no matter what. And that really gets hard to do sometimes, doesn't it? 
Second promise that they made to each other was that I'm going to be there for you. You know, the more I understand about life and, and ministry, it's not so much about solving problems. It's just about being there with people. And I think they had this covenant and their relationship had a quality because they said, hey, we're going to be there for each other. Come what may. The third thing this story so clearly says is that right at the beginning of this relationship here, they're making a commitment to do what is best for the other. How different would the quality of our relationships be if we said, as much as it depends on me in our relationship, I promise to love you no matter what, I promise to be there for you, and I promise to do what is best for you. You know, we talk about changing the world and wanting to solve all these problems out here. It starts with a simple promise towards those that we want to be in relationship with, right? The first foundation of a healthy best friend is that we're making promises to one another. And we're saying, hey, no matter what, I'm in it. Good friendships are birthed in promise. Turn over the page or swipe across the screen <laughs> to 1 Samuel 19. Second thing that we see in their relationship. So the relationship continues, and because Saul, Jonathan's dad, the king, is uh, a little bit insecure, he starts to get jealous of David. Now, when you have an insecure person with a lot of power, trouble isn't far around the corner. <laughs> Don't make me comment. Just, just take that statement for, for what's happening in 1 Samuel 19. <laughs> and so he decides that he wants to kill David. And so he sits down with his son, and they have this conversation. 1 Samuel 19. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told his father, I uh, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned David, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell everything to you that I can find out. That's a big risk for for Jonathan. He's caught in this, this difficult place. He, he wants to, be, to, to, to keep peace because of his relationship with his dad and because of his relationship with his friends and, and they're fighting against each other and, and he's in the middle and he makes a decision that even though he's in this difficult place, he's making a decision for loyalty. Man, and that was a tough decision to make. Because he wanted to be loyal to his dad because he was his dad. But he needed to be loyal to his best friend as well. And so he says, come what may, I'm going to be loyal. And so he was loyal to David by telling David what was going to happen. And he says, I want you to hear this, overhear this conversation I'm having with my dad so that you can know that I'm committed to our friendship. 
And so the next day they go out into the field. It says, verse 4, the next morning Jonathan spoke with his father about David. David is overhearing this, saying many good things about it. Then his loyalty moves to the next level and he challenges his dad. He said, the king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's done nothing. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. He turns the screw a little bit tighter. He says, have you forgotten about the time that David risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result. You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterwards, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court as before. Second mark of a friendship, if we want to have a quality friendship, is not just that they're birthed in promises, but they're bathed in loyalty. You know what was so brilliant about what Jonathan did? is that he kept loyal to his father and he kept loyal to his friend even though his father couldn't stand his friend. He stood in the middle of a conflict and he kept his promise and said, I'm going to figure out how to be loyal to both of you. And he did it. Because quality friendships are based in loyalty. One of my fears with all the dissension that's happening politically is that we're throwing out friendships based on what we think is right. We are sacrificing a whole lot in terms of relationship for something so relatively small as politics. The reason we got this backwards is because politics aren't going to solve our problems. Relationships are. So we're being foolish when we sacrifice relationships for the sake of politics. Does that make sense? How do we bridge that gap? We become loyal friends. We say, hey, we can, we can disagree. But let's be mature about this and work it out. Because that's what loyalty and relationship demands. He and Jonathan disagreed wholeheartedly with his dad because of his loyalty to David. But he said, Dad, I, I, I got to speak to you. We got to talk. We got to keep our relationship intact, even though we're on different sides of this issue. Because he realized that the way to solve this conflict was through relationships. And so he made a commitment to stay loyal to his friends. 
I'm sure you've seen on some of your social media feeds, hey, if you didn't vote my way uh, and you don't like what I'm saying, then you're unfriended. Man, that's, I hope people aren't serious about that. I hope that's just some social media stuff that's got no substance. Because the answer to our problems is not in politics, it's in relationships. So let's not sacrifice relationship for politics, right? Let's relearn loyalty again. Let's learn to say, I got your back. Let's learn to say, I, 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 I need to be your friend more than I need to think you're right. Or, or even worse, I need to be your friend more than I think I'm right. David and Jonathan show us that quality relationships are based, birthed in promise, bathed in loyalty. And as that promise continues to be kept and that loyalty strengthens, the relationship becomes bonded by trust. And when you have a relationship that is held together by an unbreakable trust, then there is a richness and a power in that friendship like nothing else. Does it mean it'll be easy? No. We'll see in a minute. It was excruciatingly painful what trust looked like for these two guys. But in the midst of an incredibly difficult circumstance, they kept that trust together. First Samuel 20, turn over one more page, swipe one more thing on the screen. And what's happening here is that King Saul's jealousy is rising again. And again, as long as we remain insecure, our jealousies are going to keep rising <laughs> And when jealousy is winning in us, it's really hard for us to think about things like, like justice and important things like this. So David's on the run again. He fled from Noah, can't say it, in Ramah and found Jonathan. Because when we want to flee, the best place to flee is to our friends, right? What have I done? David said. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? David's getting upset now. He's getting angry. He's put up with enough. And so, whereas Jonathan before, as a loyal friend, had to speak truth to his dad, and now he has to speak truth to David. That's not true, Jonathan protested. He's been loyal to his dad. You're not going to die. You see, my dad always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. And their relationship is going through a test, right? David's afraid for his life. Jonathan's kind of on the defensive, uh, protecting his father. And in this situation, trust becomes so, so important because perhaps both of their lives are on the line if trust doesn't happen. 
Then David took an oath, verse 3, before Jonathan. Oath is a promise, right? That's consistent with their relationship because it was birthed in promises. Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan why I should hurt him, but I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. Now think about this. When he says, I swear it by your own soul, that's when Jonathan realizes that David is really afraid here, that he's serious about what he's saying. And now the friendship kind of dynamic has shifted. And David is saying to Jonathan, hey, buddy, I need to speak truth to you. Because you're missing something from your dad. Here's the, here's the, the, the picture of this story. There's so much conflict in their relationship at this moment that unless there is trust between them, not only does the friendship die, but both of them die as well. Both of them experience incredible loss. So they sit together and they strategize and say, hey, well, let me, let's, let, let, let's, let's figure this out. And so they come up with a plan that Jonathan is going to go back to Saul and listen in on the conversation and not kind of bring it up in an overt way, but just try and draw the information out. And then the next day, if this was true, then he'd go uh, shooting some arrows in the field. And, and David would be watching his servant shooting the arrows. And if he shot it to the left, that meant that David was safe. But if he shot it uh, too far, that meant that David was in trouble and he needed to flee right away. So Jonathan goes and he has his conversations with, God, with his father, the king, and he finds out that the king does want to kill David. So the next day he takes his servant out and he overshoots the arrow. And you can imagine this scene as the servant is, is shooting. Jonathan is there weeping because he knows his friend is in trouble. And David's watching from the bushes off to the side, seeing where this arrow is going to land, and he sees it goes way over the, the target, whatever the target was, and he starts weeping as well because they know that their friendship has to be separate for a lot longer. The scripture says that um, before they went their separate ways, they saw each other and that they cried because they didn't want to be separated when they had so much pain and so much need. But they knew that unless they trusted each other to separate, then they would both potentially lose their lives. They had to trust each other to get to that point. And then they had to trust each other beyond that point. And the point that I'm trying to make is that if we want quality relationships, not only do they have to be birthed in promise, not only do they need to be bathed in loyalty, but they needed to be bonded by trust. So many of our relationships don't work because we don't trust. But here's the secret about trust. Before it shatters, it erodes, right? 
Before trust shatters, it erodes. So if we want to strengthen the bond of trust in our friendships, we don't just need to protect ourselves against the big things that break relationships. We need to watch the little things that we do every day that erode trust. That makes sense? Friendship, real friendship, is all about the little steps of trust. It's about creating a filter through how we respond and react and initiate friendship. And that filter is, is what I'm going to do going to build trust or is it going to erode trust? And if it's going to erode trust, don't do it. If it's going to build trust, do it. Because trust is the most important ingredient in any quality relationship. Without it, we got nothing. David and Jonathan shared a quality friendship that changed their life. Their story presents us with a picture that I believe our heart yearns for. I want a friend like Jonathan. That's actually why we named Jonathan, because of this guy. Did you know that? Because, because of everything that I've prayed for Jonathan, I wanted him to, to be a good friend, right? There's something that, that needs a Jonathan, it needs a David within us. One final thought before I wrap up, just to take it to a whole new level, right? Friendships are based on promises. It's covenant, not contract, right? They require loyalty. Trust is the, is the glue that we have to strengthen every single conversation. There's a story I could tell you about that, but I won't because the kid's here. <laughs> but here's the... Here's the, the meta-narrative of what's happening here. In this story, you have a son who sets aside standing with his father to love one under the father's wrath. Does that narrative sound familiar? Jonathan is modeling for us what Jesus would soon come and do. Jonathan was going to be king, but he laid it aside. Jesus left the glory of heaven. He laid it aside. Jonathan fought for his friend who had upset the king. Jesus came and lived a life and died a death and rose from that death to pay the punishment for the things that we have done that have upset the king. 
Jonathan is pointing us to Jesus. And so as we talk about friendships, and we talk about quality relationships, it's impossible to do so without realizing that God, through Christ, wants to be a quality friend for us. Because you look at our relationship with God, and it is birthed in promise. And it is marked by loyalty as God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And it is held together by trust. You know what another word for trust is? Faith. And so here's the deal, the conclusion, I'll wrap it up with this. If we want to experience the quality friendship with one another, it helps us a whole lot if that friendship has been modeled to us first. And the good news of the gospel is that it has. And it has in Jesus.